Good morning. Good morning. I do want to encourage you when we um, highlight these groups each month to, for us to take that serious. Let's be praying for them. Um, I think about a couple of different scriptures. One is where Jesus is talking about how ripe the fields are for harvest, and he's speaking about um, people who would come to know him, come to know um, God, come to salvation. And he says that the fields are white for the harvest, he says, but pray that the Lord of the harvest would raise up workers to go into his harvest fields. And so one thing I think we need to be praying is that God would raise up people to go uh, to these um, unreached groups. The other thing I would encourage is um, I think about Isaiah when the Lord called Isaiah. And the question that the Lord asked was, whom shall I send? And Isaiah's response was, here I am, Lord, send me. I don't think we need to rule out the fact that God may very well be calling us to some of these groups. And if the Lord prompts us in that way, that we would uh, be willing to be obedient and to take that step of faith. And so I just want to encourage you to pray um, alongside those two lines of thinking. God, send more people. And God, here I am. Fish your will, send me. So um, today we're going to continue, actually wrap up this uh, series we've been in. Uh, called Different by Design. And we've been looking at how God has a design. Um, one, that there is a designer. We looked at how God has a design for families. We've looked at how God has a design for men and manhood. And guess what today, ladies? It's all about you, right? And so, uh, but guys, there's a lot in this. Look, we all wrestle with many of the same things. Sometimes those things look a little different, but the same truths that um, allow women to live in the freedom that God's called them to live in and to be the people that God called them to be are the same truths that help us as well. But I want us to tailor this a little bit more towards you ladies today. And my prayer has been that you would find freedom um, to be the person that God created you to be today. I'll be upfront and honest, I've never been a woman, um, and so I do know some, so um, I've, I've tried to gain some insight in that, and just to clarify and clear this up, I don't want to be a woman, and so um, I feel like in today's culture, that's important to say, and so, um, but there is a difference, right, and, and we want to look at that today. In fact, I want to start with a passage in Galatians chapter 3, um, Galatians chapter 3, if you want to look on your phone or turn in your Bible. Um, I want to read this one passage, and then we're going to pray. We'll look at several other scriptures as we go through today. It says, Galatians chapter 3, 28, the apostle Paul writing to these churches that are in this region called Galatia. He says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you today that your word is powerful, that it is God-breathed, that it is sharper than a double-edged sword, that it does pierce to our hearts. I thank you, God, that it can also cut off the chains and those things that bind us and hold us back. I thank you that it is powerful to the renewal of our mind and that, God, we can begin to think differently, um, make different decisions, and therefore live differently as you conform us into the image of Jesus. I pray this today for the women in this church, Lord, that they would be set free, but also for men, God, that we would uh, consistently be taken from glory to glory in the image of Jesus as we walk with you. Lord, thank you for how you've already moved, and I thank you, God, that you would continue to move as we look at your truth and as your word is proclaimed. We love you, God, in Jesus' name, amen. 
And so we come to this passage of Scripture, which a lot of times has been taken out of context as much Scripture is. And we come to this one, and it clearly states that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. There's neither male nor female because you're all one in Christ Jesus. Now, sometimes this is used to say there is no difference, period. But what Paul is talking about here is that when we're in Christ, there is no difference in value. There is no difference in worth. It's very obvious from God's created order and from Scripture that there is a difference in men and women. It's, it's crazy we have to say that today, but it is true. In fact, when I was in about the seventh grade, my parents had to sign a permission form for me to go into a class to learn about the differences between men and women, right? And, and I remember sitting there and the teacher, she had us all bring in this paperwork and she said, now we're gonna look at the difference in anatomy of boys and girls. And she said, are we mature enough class to handle this? The first piece of anatomy she puts on the overhead, it was one of those overhead projectors. I lost it. I'm talking about just folded over laughing. I got kicked out of the class. And to be perfectly honest, if it happened today, I'd probably still laugh. I'm just gonna be honest with you. But the point of it is there is a difference. And while in Jesus and in our created, um, being created in the image of God, we all have the same value, we have the same worth, there is difference. There's difference in role. There's difference in um, makeup. There's difference. And this is a good thing. What Paul is doing here is basically saying, you know, we're all equal at the foot of the cross. In Jesus, we all have the same value. We have the same worth. There, there is no difference in that, whether you're Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female. We all are the same in that way, but there are differences. And the Bible really spells a lot of this out. I wanna to go to a very popular passage of scripture um, that a lot of you ladies have probably read or had read to you. And that's in Proverbs, back in the Old Testament, Proverbs chapter 31. How many of you ladies have heard this before? How many of you have maybe read this? You've probably done Bible studies. There's entire ministries called Proverbs 31 woman, I believe. And so you look at this, this is a very common passage of scripture. I want to read through it and talk a little bit about it um, as we go through, because it's really astonishing. In fact, the title of this um, in my Bible says, the wife of noble character, the wife of noble character. And it begins in this, in verse 10, it says, a wife of noble character, who can find? She's worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. In other words, he is confident whether she's with him, whether she's not. She builds him up, has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. It says she brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works eager, eager with eager hands. And so she's busy doing things for the family. She's like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. Now think about this, food brought from afar. She's not just providing food for them, she's providing the best food and plenty of it. She gets up while it's still night and she provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. So she's up early and she's preparing the food. She considers a field and buys it out of her earnings. She plants a vineyard. So she's also a business owner. She's working and making money and 
purchasing. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for the, for the task. She's continuously energetic, going and going and going. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. She's working long hours. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. Not only is she doing stuff with what she makes for her own family, but she's doing it for the poor and needy at the same time. When it snows, she has no fear for her household for all of them are clothed in scarlet. So they're not just clothed, they're clothed in the best. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Not only are they clothed with the best, but she dresses perfectly as well. Her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She's clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. In other words, there's no worry there's no fear, there's no anxiety, no concern for what tomorrow might bring. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. She's always busy. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you, surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. How many of you women, you've read that, you've heard that, or maybe for the first time you hear that today, and that just feels really overwhelming. Anybody? I feel overwhelmed for you. I was tired just reading it. But you look at this and I mean, the things that it says, it, it says working eagerly, building up the husband. She's providing the best of food, the best of clothes. She's working, making money. She's trading, she's buying fields. She's starting businesses. She's doing all of these things. And it gets to the end and it says, her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also. And he praises her. How many of you moms in here today, that was your experience getting your kids up this morning? Probably none, right? None of you went to wake your children up for church and they said, mother, you are blessed of the Lord. Nobody did that. In fact, it probably went a lot more like this. Get your shoes on or I will blank. And then three minutes later, get your shoes on or I will blank, right? Ask me how I know this conversation. And, and this seems like so unattainable, so unreachable. And I wanna point this out to you ladies. This is the ideal. It's kind of like last week when we looked at biblical manhood and we looked at Matthew 5, 48, and we talked about how Jesus is telling them at that point to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And we realize in this that this is pretty much impossible. But oftentimes we read this, we hear this read, and we look at this standard that is so high. 
and you look at it and you're like, I can never attain that. And here's the thing, you're right, but there is still this religious pressure that we can feel, that you can feel to attain to that standard. I should be doing this, I should be doing more, I should be better at this, I should be better at that. And there's this pressure that comes even through church or through scripture reading. If we don't keep it in perspective of what it's telling us, then it's easy to begin to feel even this religious pressure to be and do all of these things. Not only do we see this sort of religious pressure, but we've got the pressure, you guys, you have the pressure of the world on you. And you're expected to be so many different things, to keep so many plates spinning, to wear so many hats at one time. In fact, I got some pictures that I wanna show you today that I believe show you who you're supposed to be. And the first one is this, it's in the kitchen. This is who, ladies, you are supposed to be. Right? Paula Dean, making all of America fat, right? Obese, overweight, unhealthy. But we look at that and you're expected to cook like that. In the kitchen, that's who you're supposed to be. And then you go to the living room and you should be this person. Joanna Gaines, she's, she's a, the homemaker, right? She can make everything perfect. Not only can she cook, but she, she can even rebuild an entire house. You're supposed to be that good in the living room and as the housekeeper, so you got the kitchen, the living room, and then how about the kids' room, the playroom, the baby room? Who's old enough to know who that is? June Cleaver. Perfect, vacuumed in heels, vacuumed in pearls. Was known back then as America's mom always had the perfect wisdom for her children, the perfect mom. So you were supposed to be Paula Dean in the kitchen, Joanna in the living room, June Cleaver in the kids' room, and then how about in the boardroom? I mean, Proverbs 31 even speaks about this, of making money. How about this one? Who knows who this is off of Shark Tank? Lori Griner, right? worth about $150 million, has patented like 120 inventions, 90% of which have been successful. Incredible. There's this pressure to somehow be and do this, to succeed at the things that you put your hand to that are outside of the home, that are to make money and provide for the family. And so we've got the kitchen, the living room, the kids' room, the boardroom, and finally the bedroom, right? Marilyn. And we talked about this, is that too risque? And they were like, one, everybody's already seen it. Two, you can go to Walmart and see worse, right? <laughs> Sometimes you go to Walmart, you see way more than you wanna see. And so you look at that, man. I mean, and these, these are the people who were sort of like at the pinnacle of, of what they did and who they're known to be. And somehow you get the pressure of having to conform to all of that. But I'll tell you this, if you look at this as the standard, understand you can strive for perfection, but you can never achieve it. You are not going to get this perfect. In fact, the first thing I'll tell you, and what do we do about this? How do you escape this performance trap? 
How do you get out of this mindset of if I'm not perfect, I'm worthless, or I should be better, and you're constantly striving to be a better version of you, right? To be a better version of you. How do you get out of this? The first thing I would tell you is this. You've gotta accept the fact that you aren't perfect. Accept the fact that you are not perfect. In fact, I would tell you it's even worse than that. You are sinful. Not only are you not perfect, but you are sinful. And it's probably not hard to convince you of this because most of you are very well aware of this. And here's what I know. The same serpent that whispered into Eve's ear in the garden still whispers into your ear. And he's still a liar and he's still an accuser and he still desires to destroy you with his lies. Romans 3, I mentioned this a little bit last week, but I want us to take the time to read it today. Romans chapter 3, we often hear Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But as Paul is coming to that conclusion, that's sort of the conclusion he makes from the first three chapters of the book of Romans. In verse 9, it says this, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin, under the power of sin. Not just sinful, but we are under the power of sin. He says, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And this applies to men and women. That as far as God's kingdom and God's purpose for us, we have become worthless, imperfect. Paul later makes that conclusion. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But there's this transition that happens when we come to Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter two. Paul in Ephesians chapter two is talking about how we were all dead in our trespasses and sins. But he says, but now because of God's grace and faith in Jesus, we've been made alive through him. And he comes to this conclusion at the end of this in chapter two, verse 10. He says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The, the, the little word there for handiwork is masterpiece. And there's something that happens in this incredible transaction where Jesus takes our sin and we take his righteousness, that we go from worthless towards God's kingdom to a masterpiece and God's handiwork to progress his kingdom. It's this amazing transition but if we're gonna to get to that, we have to come to this conclusion that I am not perfect and even worse than that, I am sinful. I am dead in my transgressions and sin. The power of sin is ruling and reigning over me until I come to Jesus who breaks the power of sin off of my life and gives me the ability to go from glory to glory in the image of Jesus. See, the problem, ladies, is this. The problem is oftentimes mis directed energy, misdirected effort. We're making the effort to perfect ourselves when the effort needs to be in pursuit of Christ. 
If you'll put all of your effort towards pursuing Jesus, Jesus will make you into the person he wants you to be. It might not be the person your friends want you to be. It might not be the person social media tells you you ought to be. It might not be the person that you see on television. But let me, that you understand this, it is much more important and much more effective and much more powerful for you to rest in the fact that if I pursue Jesus, he will make me into the woman he wants me to be. Cut through the clutter, cut, cut through the fluff, and get to where it really happens, the heart of the issue, pursuing Christ. But you've gotta to come to this conclusion that I can't do it. And when we come to this conclusion, the next thing that has to happen is we have to be born again. You have to be born again. What does that mean? We hear all the time, let's phrase like born again Christians. But if you go to John chapter three, this is where that comes from. Jesus is speaking with a man by the name of Nicodemus. It says, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. What he's saying is when you are born into this world, you were born into sin. From the moment of your, your birth, you were sinful. David even declares this in the Psalms. He says that I know, Lord, from the moment of my birth, I've been, I have sinned against you. And when we look at this, we begin to realize that there is a need for this transition, this transformation. And when he's speaking about the rebirth, he's speaking of what happens when we come to faith in Jesus and the Spirit of God enters us and he gives us a new heart. And Paul describes it as this, we become a new creation. And understand, until you come to faith in Jesus and Jesus gives you a heart that you desire his design, you can try to perfect his design in your own strengths, but it will forever be frustrating because you will not get it right, at least not all the time. And understand, your motivation until God gives you a heart to fulfill his design for who he desires you to be, your motivation is going to be wrong. There can be things that motivate you. Maybe you've been in church all your life. There's this religious pressure to conform to some image, but there's no desire in your heart for God. You can even put self-imposed pressure on yourself, which you, ladies, you're good at this. This thing inside of you that says, I should be better than I am. I've got to get it together. And so there's this self-imposed pressure. There's this peer pressure. And along with that comes this pressure for achievement. We look at this and we realize that there's this pressure that tends to motivate me to some degree, but understand that is the wrong motivation. The motivation for God's design should come from a love for God, not trying to create a facade or trying to paint a picture of someone that I know I should be. How many of you ladies on social media, all of your friends are perfect on social media, aren't they? because nobody, typically nobody really posts the worst of them on social media. What you see is the best. 
And you look at that and it begins to put this pressure. Wow, I should be more like that. That should be me. And what it brings us back to is this devastating thing called comparison. Because when you begin to compare, it leads to competing. And when you begin to compete, you're not competing for a win. You're not competing for for even to be better than the other person. You know what you're competing for? You're competing for acceptance and a feeling inside yourself that says, I'm okay. You look at people, women who are achieving further than you, maybe even in your own profession. You look at these women and they seem to be going further, faster. And so you feel like I'll never be that good. You look at moms and they're always baking cookies and their kids are always dressed perfectly and they got bows and everything, right? You're like, I could never be that mom. Could never be like that. But what if you're not supposed to? What if it's okay for your kid's hair to, to be sticking up every now and then? Had a cow lick right here when I was growing up. Like it's still there, I just covered up. It just stuck up all the time. What if it's okay? What if you don't let the people in your life around you define you? What if you let God's word and his truth kind of let the air out of the tire a little bit? Because this is where it happens. When we're born again, our motivation gets right. But here's where freedom comes from. Freedom comes from God's word. Jesus said this. He said, if you hold to my commands, you will know the truth. And he said, the truth will set you free. That means for salvation, yes, but it means for all of life. He sets us free to be the people that God intended for us to be. See, Jesus didn't come just in the image of God. He came in the image of perfected man, what we were intended to be. And he shows us what we begin to grow into as we follow him. But it comes from God's truth. Listen to this. This is kind of, the, this is kind of what you've got to leave here with today. This is what you've got to leave here with. God's word must be your ultimate authority, and grace must be an experienced reality, not a theory. God's word must be your ultimate authority, and grace must be an experienced reality, not a theory. If God's word is the highest authority in your life, you can stop living for the opinion of others. You can stop living for your own opinion of yourself, And you can begin to live in the freedom of who God says you are. You can stop comparing. You can stop competing, comparing yourself to other people. And you can begin to live and grow into the person that God desires you to be. Think about this. Someone said this the other day, just just this one little phrase. And man, it it caught me. It grabbed me. And the phrase was this. They said, you know, since we were born, since we were born, we've been being measured. I never thought about that. But isn't that true? Like no sooner than you are born, than they are measuring you. They're, they're, well, he's 21 inches long. Weighs about eight pounds, eight ounces. Just shake his head. That's a big old head, but I think he's okay. 
And then what do they do? They'll tell you this as a parent, they'll say he's in the 90th percentile. He's in the 70th percentile or he's off the chart. (laughs) Already comparing, right? Not only are you measured, but you're already compared. And the way we have to escape this comparison, the way we escape the opinions of others is through God's truth. God's truth has to be the final authority. God's truth can't be an opinion in our life, ladies. God's truth has to be the final word. Men, the same thing for you. God's truth can't be an opinion in your life and you be set free. God's truth must be the final word in your life. So it goes like this. When everything around you begins to tell you something that doesn't line up with God's word, it's a lie. And I get rid of it. Let me tell you how you recognize these things. If you are in a place and you begin to feel condemned, and you're in Christ and you begin to feel condemnation, you begin to feel fear, you begin to feel anxiety, you begin to feel temptation. All of these things are common to us, right? But when you begin to feel those things and you begin to recognize those feelings, you somewhere have believed a lie. Somewhere you have believed a lie. Either condemnation, I'm believing a lie that I have no value, no worth. But see, your value and worth isn't based off of your successes and failures. It's based off the fact that you're in Christ. So somewhere I'm believing a lie that my performance and my effort is actually what gives me value and worth, but that is a lie from the enemy. If I'm feeling fear, anxiety, there's a lie somewhere that I believe that things aren't gonna be okay. The truth is, it may not be okay the way I want it to be okay, but the truth is also, it's gonna be okay. Because the best is always yet to come for those who are in Jesus. If I'm in temptation, I'm believing a lie. This right here will make me better, it will make me feel better, and my life will overall be better if I give in to this temptation. That's a lie. It's not the truth. Somewhere we have believed that lie but God's truth has the ability to set us free. We have to see his truth as our ultimate authority because it will silence the opinions of others around us. The other part of this is grace. Grace has to be an experienced reality, not a theory. We come into church and we hear grace, 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 but do you experience grace? Grace isn't a pass for a guilty conscience is the reality that our guilt has been paid for. Grace isn't a pass for sensual living. It's the power of God to change us. In the book that, or letter that Paul wrote to a, a man by the name of Titus in Titus 2.11, it says this, that grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Grace isn't just the forgiveness of our sin. It's not just unconditional love. Grace is God doing in us and for us what we cannot do for ourselves. 
And the way grace becomes a theory or moves from theory to experience is through God's truth. Jesus came and it says he was full of grace and truth. Doesn't mean he was half of one and half the other. It was completely one. And when my own heart even begins to condemn me, what I have to do is grab hold of God's truth and say, right now, I do not feel like the righteousness of God, but the truth is that he became unrighteous so that I can become righteous. And I'm standing right now clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. I just yelled at my kid. I lost it. I know. I I mean, I, I, I blew it. But right now, God, I praise you that I'm still fearfully and wonderfully made, that I'm still clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. I thank you, God, that right now I repent and I turn. And God, I thank you that you would renew my mind. I thank you that you change me into the image of Jesus. And see, there's something that happens when we quit walking in condemnation and we quit trying to make ourselves better. And we just begin to realize that even when I blow it, I can still turn to God. Even when I screw it up, I can still turn to him. And when I realize that his grace is big enough even to cover me in my lowest spot, you know what it should do? It shouldn't lead me to condemnation. It should lead me to worship. And when I realize that he loves me when I'm here and I see that I can begin to worship. And you know what worship does? It magnifies the Lord. And he becomes bigger His truth becomes louder and all the opinions around me, they don't matter as much. And I walk in, I live in his love. I walk in and live in his grace. I walk in and live in the truth. And let me tell you this, ladies, ladies and guys too. Ladies, listen, you're gonna have to fight for this. You're not fighting for salvation. You're not fighting for God's love but you know what you're gonna have to fight for? You're gonna have to fight so that the enemy's lies do not define you. And it's why Paul in Ephesians six, he gives us the armor of God and he gets to the end of that. And he says that God has given us the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then he goes on and talks about praying on all occasions. And here's what we do, guys. This is what we do, ladies. This is how we fight. We fight with God's word, the the sword of the spirit, the word of God, and we fight through prayer. And when the lie comes and the enemy comes and he begins to make accusations, he begins to to bring condemnation, then I stop and I say, look, this, this is This can't be from God. I'm feeling anxiety. I'm feeling fear. I'm feeling condemnation. I'm feeling temptation. I'm feeling something that I know is not from the Lord. And I stop and I recognize it and I bring it to scripture. Does this line up with who God says I am? And if it doesn't, you take that thought captive and you throw it away. And you fight with the sword of the spirit so that the enemy can't whisper lies into your ears because if they're left in your mind long enough, they become a stronghold, an inaccurate way of thinking. And that way of thinking will determine how you see yourself and how you see yourself will determine the decisions you make and how you make those decisions will determine the life you live. But God's word is powerful, it says in 2 Corinthians 10, for pulling down strongholds. Don't you, as a child of God, let the world around you define you.
what God says. It's the final word. It is the final word. Guess what? When you make the mistake and you know that what you're feeling is, is real, like I made the mistake, you know what God can do? God can correct you without condemning you. God's word has to be that final authority. You can live with and you can live from an accurate identity without the comparisons, without the competing, without the, the self-imposed, the world-imposed, the religiously imposed pressures. You can fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, and run the race that is set before you. And when you get tired, you consider him who endured so much, even the cross, for the joy that was set before him. The joy was in your freedom and the redemption of his creation. And now it says he sit down at the right hand of the Father and he's making intercession for you. I would encourage you, let the Lord reveal to you the lies that you have believed through the things you've experienced, you've seen, or you've been told, and let his truth set you free. Here's what I wanna do. I wanna pray for all of us. So we come to the end of this series. I wanna pray especially for the ladies, but also wanna pray for all of us. And I, I want you, let God search your heart and your mind. They didn't point out to you that thing, that, that stronghold. This has caused me to think a certain way. If right now you believe you're worthless and have no value, that's a lie from hell. Something's value is determined by what someone else is willing to pay for it. And God gave his son. I would say you have value. Father, I thank you today that we can be set free from the lives that the enemy has whispered into our ears. I pray right now that your truth and your word will become louder than every opinion that surrounds us, whether it's on social media, whether it's on, um, uh, God, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever, God. Whether it's on the news, whether it's from a friend, whether it's from a spouse, whatever it might be, God. I thank you today that every opinion does not stand up to your truth. And I thank you that your truth does set us free. Today, God, whatever we walked in that had us bound, I thank you that the sword of the Spirit cuts those chains and that those strongholds are pulled down and that new channels of thinking are created because of your truth. God, give us the energy, the strength, the, 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 the vitality, the spiritual energy to fight this fight. Let your spirit be stirred in us, God. That we would strengthen ourselves in you and walk in the path, God, that you have laid out for us. Lord, let every lie fall at the truth of your word and let every life fall at the name of Jesus. And let us be free to be the people you created us to be. Thank you for paying that price for us. In Jesus' name.